0: Uh, so uh, we're going to we're gonna move on. We're going to read from the Bible. Anyone want to guess what story we're going to read from the Bible this morning? <laughs> uh, John chapter 2. I'm going to ask Taryn to throw it up on the screen uh, for you. Uh, John chapter 2, and we're going to read the first uh, 11, 12 verses of that. Uh, the next day, that is the third day, um, New Living Translation puts that down in the, uh, in the footnote, but the Greek is actually, I think, there the third day. Uh, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, I have no more wine. "You woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. That standing nearby uh, were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold between 20 to 30 gallons. So we're talking up to about 114 liters. If you ask, Google the difference between gallons and liters. Uh, Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servant Uh, servants followed his instructions and when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine not knowing where it had come from though of course the servants knew he called the bridegroom over our host always serves the best wine first he said and then when everyone has had a lot to drink he brings out the less expensive wine but you have kept the best till now This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus uh, revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Why don't we pray together and then we'll we'll explore that passage and see what God is saying to us. Father, thank you for the fact that you have left signposts to yourself. I pray that you would open our eyes to see them. I pray, Lord, that you would form us to be like you, that you would change us to have your heart, your desires, your life within us. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see your glory and that when we see that glory, it would have an effect on us. It would change us, that we would do everything to chase after you, to know you, to love you, to be with you. Lord, thank you that you are the God who is great in power, great in mercy, great in wonder. Pray that we would never lose sight of that. Lord, I pray that for myself, I pray that for us. And I pray that you would give me the right words to say. You would help me not just say it, but actually live it. And I pray that for the rest of the congregation as well, that we would hear these words, that we would not just hear them, but that it would make a difference in our lives, that we would, that we would set out knowing you, trusting you, following you on the basis of who you really are help us to follow the signs my favorite verse in the gospel of john is john chapter one verse five Um, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it my beautiful wife has made me a a poster to go in my office with that verse on it that i can look at and And it's a reminder to me of who God is. It's it's a reminder that no matter what happens, uh, God is there. God cannot be outdone by any force of darkness or evil. And I think in some ways, this is a great verse for John to put right at the beginning because it summarizes, to a degree, the whole of John's message about Jesus. Uh, Chapters 1 to 12 of John uh, is called the book of signs. It's it's all about signs pointing to Jesus being the light. And then John chapters thirteen to twenty one is, is all about how the darkness tries but cannot overcome the light. So the light shines in the darkness first half and the darkness cannot overcome it, second half. In those first twelve chapters John is is concerned with showing us sign after sign of Jesus's glory. He wants us to realize what John the Baptist and John the Apostle have both said, that, that Jesus is God with us. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was to set out to write down a gospel uh, to convince people or to encourage people to keep on believing in Jesus, um, where would I start? I I think I might start with something really nice and impressive, you know. Let's start with the feeding of the five thousand because wow, that that's big news. And that that would get headline news on the TV. Or or maybe let's start with the calming of the storm. Uh, Something like today that would be a great great place to start a gospel. You know, the power of a storm we all have experienced, and if we if we then say let's tell people about Jesus in charge of that. Or uh, maybe maybe I'd, I'd start with you know Jesus raising one of those people from the dead so the the, the child that he raises from the dead or, or raising Lazarus from the dead let's start with something impressive to convince people that Jesus is God and John starts his gospel starts telling us about Jesus by telling us about a wedding where the catering wasn't up to scratch don't, don't just seems weird doesn't it by the way uh, i just love the fact that jesus did go to parties we we often think that you know jesus must have been this you know always serious guy who never cracked the joke. that's what god is like god is always serious and yeah jesus could be serious. Uh, verses 13 onwards in chapter 2 jesus is very serious about uh, going to the temple and finding uh, what's what's going on there and how people are dishonoring God. And, and, and yet Jesus also goes to parties. Um, I, I remember hearing about a person who grew up uh, being taught the story uh, of the time when Jesus turned the water into grape juice. Uh, and yeah, not a big deal that Jesus didn't turn it into grape juice, but turned it into wine. the fact is Jesus was just the party needed it and Jesus did it. It's a wonderful thing. So where are we? We're in, we're in Cana. So we're about 13 kilometers north of Nazareth. We're about 25 kilometers southwest of Capernaum, uh, where Jesus was was pretty much based. It's, it's where Nathanael, um, who, who we met in John chapter 1, comes from. Uh, so what, uh, what do we see over here? Um, as they approached Jesus, this is chapter 1, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you i had seen you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. And he said, I tell you the truth, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Uh, Jesus basically said, Nathanael, you're going to see that I am the link between heaven and earth. And this incident here at Cana is the first time, the first sign of that. Now, uh, as I said in the, in the children's retelling of the story, uh, weddings back then were big affairs. Uh, usually you'd have a Wednesday ceremony if the bride was, was a virgin or a Thursday ceremony if the bride was a widow and then you'd have a big joyful procession to the home of the groom, followed by a party for a lot of people for about a week. Admittedly, I didn't spend a month looking into it, uh, but uh, I have heard stories of of apparently people could get sued for lack of hospitality. I'm not sure how much that actually happened, but this was a big deal. Uh, Weddings and hospitality, you were expected to do the right thing. And it's here at this wedding that we meet Jesus. Say, so Jesus is there. Jesus's mother is there. Uh, his disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, his disciples are there. And, and we first meet uh, Jesus's mother whispering in his ear, pretty much saying, uh, maybe not whispering, but saying they've run out of wine. I don't know why they ran out of wine. Maybe, maybe they didn't order enough. Maybe, uh, maybe funds were stretched just a little bit too tight. Uh, they, they couldn't order. They couldn't afford to order anymore. Maybe the guests were just drinking a lot of old grape juice that day or um, well, that week. I, boy, uh, I remember, you know, when you get married and you put on um, drinks for people, it gets expensive for three hours. Can you imagine what it would be like for a whole week? <laughs> of having to fund this party. I don't know why they ran out, but they ran out. And and Mary, who, who we only told to, uh, spoken of as Jesus's mother, she comes up to him and she knows there's only one thing to do, and that is to ask Jesus. And Jesus's response is that really weird response of it's none of our business. It's none of my business. I mean, let's be honest. There is some stuff in this world that is our responsibility. We have obligations to God. We've got obligations to ourselves. We've got obligations to our family. We've got obligations to our society. And sometimes this is just what we are meant to do. And Jesus was, he was quite right. It wasn't his problem. Jesus was a guest at the party. I am sure that every single one of us knows that when things go wrong, And they do go wrong. When things get beyond our ability. I guess there's a question. there. Should we read from the story that when things go wrong or go beyond our ability. That we shouldn't bother Jesus because he will shrug it off and say, well, that's your problem, not mine. mine. That's your problem, not mine. What Jesus said. He wasn't a guest. He was a guest. He, he wasn't the bridegroom. And yet, yet, listen to what Mary said to the servants. She said, do whatever he says. Jesus says, it's not my problem. Mary says, do whatever he says. Why did she say, do whatever he says? I think it's because she knew something of Jesus' character. It's not his problem, but he's still going to do something about it. That, that's a great thing to know about our God. It's not his problem, but he's going to do something about it. You and I are sinners. It's not God's problem, but he's going to do something about it. Uh, you and I are in desperate straits. It's not God's problem. We, we, most of the time, we put ourselves in that position. Jesus would be quite right to look at us and go, it's not my problem. And then walk away. But he says, it's not my problem, but I can help him, so I'm going to. Uh, Jesus got involved because he cares. Uh, Jesus got involved because he cares, because that's the sort of God that we serve. Uh, running out of wine, as I've said, would have been a big deal for this new couple. But actually... In the big scheme of things, it's, it's really small stuff, small fry. And I love that Jesus doesn't just care about the big picture stuff. He also cares about the little stuff, about the embarrassment of running out of, of wine at a party. And, and I think that's a great encouragement for us, that, that we serve the God who cares. And so we can ask him to help, whatever the situation. It's not his problem we shouldn't try and pretend that it is his problem, but we can say, can you help? Will you help? Because he can. He is the God who cares. He's also the God who is able. He cares and he's able to help. Uh, the sign here is, is almost anticlimactic. It just happens quietly in the background. When does the water turn to wine? I don't know. Is it when they fill the jars? when they take the water out? Is it when the guy drinks it? Who knows? We're not told. It's not important. It's just kind of, it just happens. The only people that know about everything that's happened anyway is just, it's the servants, it's Mary, the mother of Jesus, it's Jesus, and it's the disciples. Everyone else just says, wow, this this new grog's pretty good. Uh, It's it's one of those signs that, that just happens in the background. And I wonder whether that's because for the God who made all things, the creator God, this is a, this is nothing. God can as easily create water into wine as he can create us out of nothing. Um, and and I, I don't think this is the main point of this story, but you know, if, if Jesus is the God who transforms, if he can make the best wine out of ordinary water, just imagine what he can make out of me and out of you. He's the God who cares. He's the God who is able, but he's also the God who saves the best for last, because Jesus didn't just make wine; he made the best wine. And I think we need to we need to take care of, of taking notes of this, because he made the best. He made the best wine when it seemed almost wasteful. Um, now, hopefully, the people weren't blind drunk, rolling around on the floor. But by this stage, they've probably been drinking slowly and eating and all of that stuff for for a while, probably a couple of days. I don't know, but it's been a while because they've already run out of wine and they bought more than one bottle. But they didn't have bottles back. You know what I mean. They've been going at it for a little bit, drinking uh, at this party. And Jesus could have got by with giving them, you know, almost vinegar. Maybe not quite. But Jesus gave them the best wine. Uh, when I eat, it 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 it, it sometimes annoys Tarin a little bit because we'll make this beautiful meal with all these different flavors, and and I tend to eat in sections. So I'll I'll eat I'll eat the peas first, and then I'll eat the broccoli, and then I'll eat the carrots because you know that's like cake, and then I'll eat then I'll eat uh, you know whatever it is I'll eat the steak, and then I'll eat oh, I'll eat the mash last, and and, and it's not something that I consciously choose to do, but I think subconsciously I choose to save the best for last so that the last taste is going to be the one that I like the best. Yeah. It's not something I think through. It's just, it's just how I eat instead of mushing it all together. Now, don't push this analogy too far, but I think God's a little bit like that. He saves the best for the end. See, the best that God had in plan was not land for abraham the best that god had in store was not a kingdom for david the best that god had in store wasn't a return from exile for israel the best that god had in store is life with god the best that god has in store is is a new heavens and a new earth the best that god has in store is a celebration the wedding feast of christ and his church made new made perfect without fault living with him and a new creation for all eternity god is saving the best for last. I wonder whether John didn't pick this as the first sign to tell us about, in part because it was one of the first signs, but or, or the first sign, but also because he's looking forward to, to that ultimate wedding day. The day of the Lord. The day when there will be no running short. The day when we will celebrate with our our God, and our Father. The wine that he provided was the best wine. It was evidence of God's kingdom. Jesus told his mother that his hour had not yet come. Last week, we heard of John the Baptist uh, saying, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, three days later, we see Jesus revealing his glory. No, I, I wonder whether that three days later isn't meant to make us go, oh, I've heard of three days somewhere before in the Christian story. Where is that? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world three days later, revealing his glory, is raised life. Is this wedding sign that John starts with meant to point us to the end? Is John is John starting here? in part because he wants to remind us of the glory of Jesus, seen in the little things, but seen in him being raised from the dead, seen in the day of his return when he will take his bride to be with him. John says to us that this wedding was a sign. At at an important wedding, something of God's kingdom was made, sorry, at an unimportant wedding, something of God's kingdom was, was made manifest, was revealed. God's kingdom was present. This was a sign that, that Jesus cares deeply for us, even for the unimportant stuff. This is grace. The wedding guests did not have any right to demand anything. The bridegroom or the bride did not have any right to demand anything, but Jesus gave it because he felt sorry for them. This is a sign that tells us that Jesus is able to do anything. It's a sign that God saves the best for last. And it's a sign pointing to that future ultimate wedding feast where we will live with God as his people. See, the bridegroom has come for us. Jesus has died to make us his own. And soon there will be that procession into the new heavens and the new earth where we will live with him forever and ever. And there will be a celebration. John says in verse 11 that through the sign, Jesus revealed his glory. He showed that he was more than just an ordinary person. He, He showed his divinity. He showed that he was God. He showed that in him, the very best wine is already available. The wine of the kingdom of God. The question is, what are we going to do with this? The disciples looked at this and they said, this is God. They, they believed in him. Not, not perfectly, not with complete understanding, but they saw all of this and they knew, they just knew I am going to trust this man because I see something of his glory. And I think I can trust him, the God who cares, the God who is able, the God. God keeps the best for last. Question for us, the question that I think John wants us to think, and the reason he starts with this is, will we take the hints about who Jesus is? Will we put our trust in him? Not because he does a fancy miracle, because this doesn't start with a fancy miracle, but because of what it says about who he is. Have a listen to Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4. You are a tower of refuge to the poor, O Lord, a tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. For the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like a storm beating against a wall or like the relentless heat of the desert. But you silence the roar of foreign nations as the shade of cloud Cools relentless heat, so the boastful songs of ruthless people are still. In Jerusalem, the Lord of Heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the peoples of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well aged wine and choice meat. And there he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him. He saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. In that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him. And he saved us. That's what happened to Cana. John wants us to see the God who cares. The God who is able. God who has saved the best to last. God who is glorious. Let us pray. Father, so often we can fail to see your glory. We can get so caught up with looking for the miraculous that we forget to look behind it to the God of the miraculous. We can get so caught up with our problems that we fail to remember that there is a God who cares for us. Lord, so often we we can get so caught up in the difficulties of life that we forget that there is a God who is able to do more than we can imagine. Lord, so often we live on the assumption that this world is all that there is, that we just better make the best of it. Forget you have saved the best to us. Jesus, thank you that you have come into this world, our world, the world that you created. Thank you that you care for us, that you are able, that you have saved the best for us. Help us to see your glory in what we've read, but in our lives as well, Jesus. When we do that, help us to put our trust in you. Help us to remind each other of who you are and what you have done. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to close this morning's service by uh, singing a song together. We're going to sing What a Beautiful Name by uh, oh, by Heelsong. Uh, you were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high, your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in Jesus Christ. Let's sing together.